Okay, today's reading, it's uh, from 1 Peter, chapter 4, verses 7 to 11. I'll just give you a little bit of background, and it's to say, really, that Peter wrote this letter from Rome in about 62 to 64 AD. And it was basically an encouragement to the scattered and suffering Christians at that time. This is obviously part of chapter 4, which uh, you should see is entitled, Living for God. So the scriptures say this, The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power for ever and ever. Amen. Thank you, Jeff. It'd be helpful to uh, keep your Bibles open at the passage. I prepared from the slightly older version of uh, the translation, uh, so I do apologise if the odd word is a little different from uh, the one you've got in front of you. I'm very excited by uh, Passion for Life. I'll be around uh, afterwards over coffee out in the hall. If you've got any questions about it, uh, do come and grab me. Um, But uh, hopefully uh, it's going to be a great 10 days uh, doing stuff together. Let me pray. Dear Lord God, as we think about what it means to be the church this morning, help us to not lose sight of the fact that Jesus one day said that uh, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. May each and every one of us gladly yield to the loving Lordship of Jesus and be like living stones built into a spiritual house, we pray. Amen. Amen. Now, tough times are often the true test of the quality of something, aren't they? Uh, When a family faces a crisis, does the family pull together or does it just fall apart? Uh, When a sports team is uh, staring defeat in the face, does it respond with solidarity or do the players just begin to point the finger at each other about who's doing what wrong? And when a company is confronted uh, with a major obstacle, do the employees sort of rally together or do they all just throw in the towel? Now, it's not guaranteed that we'll always react the right way to trials, but my guess is every one of us here this morning, we've faced a tough time in our life and we have responded the right way and we have grown through it. We've been strengthened. Now, Peter says this right at the outset of his letter in chapter 1, verses 6 and 7. He says, these referring to trials, these trials have come so that your faith, which is of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, 
may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. So trials prove the authenticity, the genuineness of our Christian faith. Now, over the last two years, uh, we've faced, haven't we, a massive challenge with the pandemic. Many, many people have lost their lives. Millions of lives have been permanently affected by it. And all of us have been disrupted to a greater or lesser extent. I wonder, how have you as a church here at Staines Kong, how have you responded to the test, do you think? Now, I asked our church, and I asked Laylam last week, so I'm not having a go at you. How do you think you've responded? Have you looked out at the end of the day, first and foremost, for yourselves? Or have you looked out for each other? Has it led to sort of greater individualism amongst you or a greater sense of solidarity and teamwork? Has it led you to rely more and more on human solutions to the problem? Or has it made you more dependent upon God? Is Staines Kong emerging from this trial stronger or weaker? Now, in the run-up to Passion for Life, we're looking at some vital components of a local church. You began, I think, Nick, with a, a, a passion for prayer from Colossians 4. And Andy was here from Laylam last week. He talked about a passion for people from Matthew 9. Well, this morning we're going to think about a passion for team from these verses in 1 Peter chapter 4. Now, as Jeff said, Peter's writing to Christians who are up against it. They're, they're facing opposition for their faith. The verses immediately before make it very clear that um, these believers are being verbally abused because they no longer live as they used to live. Now, this is pre-Christ. Now, if you have become a Christian, maybe you faced opposition from other people because you weren't living like you used to live. Now, Peter here gives what our response should be. It's not an individual response. It's a, it's a collective response. It, it's about the church. So firstly, we're going to see part of our response is to be a praying church from verse 7. Secondly, we're to be a loving church from verses 8 and 9. And lastly, most importantly, we're to be a serving church from verses 10 and 11. So let's look at this uh, briefly. Firstly, a praying church. Peter says, the end of all things is near. Now, that's a bit of a, a stark statement, isn't it? It's a bit of a wake-up statement. Now, for the enemies of God's people, those who've been heaping abuse on these Christians because they're, they're now following Jesus, they're no longer living like they used to do, the end of all things is near is absolutely terrifying news. It's way worse than covid because on that final day, as verse 5 makes very clear, they will have to give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. They'll come before the judge. They'll come before King Jesus, who will deliver his guilty verdict, and an eternity in hell awaits them. So to, to the opponents of God's people, the end of all things is near, is frightening news. But to God's people, the end of all things is near is glorious news. 
because Christ's return will mark an end, uh, will mark the completion, if you like, of our salvation. It will mark an end to all suffering, and it will bring about the new heaven and the new earth. So you couldn't get two more extreme reactions to the same piece of news, could you? So in the light of the imminent return of King Jesus, how are Christians and the church to act? Well, he tells us, doesn't he? He says, therefore, be alert and sober-minded. Now, alertness is the very opposite of, of insanity or drunkenness. Uh, sober-mindedness, self-control, is to live in a restrained, um, not a self-indulgent manner. Now, this is absolutely the opposite to how these people used to live. From verse 3 above, it says, For you've spent enough time in the past living as pagans choose to do, as unbelievers, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and uh, detestable idolatry. So when a person comes to faith in Christ, there will be a clear break with how that person used to live. Now, it won't be all overnight, but there is a clear change. And what is the purpose of this alertness and this sober-mindedness? Well, it's very interesting, isn't it, what it is? It is so that you may pray. Now, I think this comes as a bit of a surprise. However, Peter said something very similar already in this letter when he addresses husbands in chapter 3. He, he talks about marriage at the first seven verses of chapter 3, addresses wives first and then husbands in verse 7. He says husbands are to be uh, considerate of their wives. They're to uh, treat them with respect. And then he says why. He says so that nothing will hinder your prayers. Now, we often think that the key component to an effective prayer life is having loads and loads of faith. But Peter would say that it's not so much the quantity of faith. We've already sung, haven't we? What did we begin with this morning? Faith has got to be enormous. No, faith has got to be as small as a mustard seed. It's, it's who that faith is in that is crucial. So it's not the quantity of faith that is important for a, an effective prayer life, but rather the quality of our lives, how we are living. You see, when we're walking faithfully with God, when we're being clear-minded and self-controlled, then certain things are true. We'll be much more aware of God's purposes. We will be far more attuned to the needs of others, be they spiritual or physical, and will be sensitive to the Spirit's prompting. So all of these things will actually help and guide our praying. Now, it has been a rough couple of years. There's no getting away from it. Funnily enough, one of the delights are, and people, when you travel around, people always say, how's the church going? And, you know, it's, a, it's frankly, it's a mixed bag. But one area that I've been thrilled with about our place is back in April two years ago, April 2020, one of our elders said, I really think we should be praying each week. So on Sunday nights at six o'clock, we've, we've, we've had a prayer meeting every week all the way through. And I'd love to say, you know, revival's broken out in Ashford. It hasn't. Um, I'd love to think 80 people turned up, but they don't. It's usually about 20 of us. But it's been one of the joys to just see 
a lot of people realizing, you know what, we are much more dependent on God than we think. We've got to, and that is reflected in praying. One writer said, prayer is the engine room of the church, and I think he's right. So two weeks ago, Nick talked about prayer, didn't he? So how would you say Staines Kong is doing in the prayer department? As you're coming out of the pandemic, how do you reckon as a church you're doing? Are you more reliant on the human solutions to the problem or are you more reliant on the Lord to act? I can't answer that for you. But here's the first thing, we've got to be a praying church. Secondly, we have to be a loving church. Jesus spoke very often about the end times. That's the times between when he ascended to be with his Father in heaven and the point when he will return. So we're in the end times now. But he says this one day of the end times, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. Now he's not describing in that verse the love of people out there. He's describing the love of amongst God's people. The love amongst God's people in the face of persecution, the love of most will grow cold. They'll turn away from faith. They'll turn away from loving each other. Now, I find that an absolutely terrifying thought. So it's against such a dire warning that it's no surprise what Peter exhorts the believers here to do, is it? Above all, above all else, Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, he said something very similar already in chapter 1, verse 22, when he says, have a sincere love for your brothers and sisters. Love one another deeply from the heart. Now, telling Christians to love one another is a bit like saying, do you know water's wet? Mark, do you know the sun is hot? Yes. It's like we've been told to love one another from day one. But the problem is, is it easy? No. And when times are tough, it's often even harder. Now, I'll be honest. Uh, there are some brothers and sisters who I have struggled to love like I should over the last couple of years. Government guidelines, what you should and shouldn't do, you can and you can't do. I haven't always seen eye to eye with everyone in our church. Confession, I've confessed to them. So, and I haven't necessarily loved like I ought. I'm probably not alone. But what does Peter say here we're to do? Well, firstly, love is manifested through forgiveness. What does he say? Above all, love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. Now, in saying that, he can't mean that if I love someone, then somehow that's going to cancel out my sin. No, only the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ covers sin, atones for sin once and for all time. So what does he mean by his expression here? Well, what he means is this, I will not let the sins of my brothers and sisters to spoil our relationship of love one to another. One writer puts it like this, love works like a shock absorber 
cushioning and smoothing out bumps and irritations caused by fellow believers. Bumps happen, don't they, between us? And Paul writes this to the Colossians, bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. As I often say on that verse, the clue is in the tenses. We forgive and we keep forgiving each other. Why? Because the Lord forgave us. We do it in the present tense and we keep doing it because in the past completed tense, God has forgiven us. Done deal. Now, maybe for you, there are one or two believers who you know your relationship's not really right at the moment. It's the elephant in the room. You're not, you've not really talked. What about this morning? You take it as a prompt from the Lord to go and sort it out. Ask for their forgiveness that you have perhaps harbored, harbored a bit of ill will towards them. So there's a first demonstration very clearly of our love for each other. It's in forgiving each other. The second is in our friendship. Because what does he then say? He says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Now, we live in very different times than Peter's. The church back then had no lovely buildings like we have today. Uh, when preachers were traveling around, they wouldn't stay at travel lodges or premier inns. They'd stay with people in the church, with the kids and their animals and so on and so forth. Hence, Peter's call to offer hospitality, but to do it without grumbling. You know the old expression, what do fish and family coming to stay have in common? You know, both begin to smell after about three days. Because it's really easy to grumble, isn't it? You know, when we're offering hospitality, it's, it's oh, so much of my time is being taken. Or who's had the last segment of Terry's chocolate orange in the fridge. Oh, it's them. When are they going? Now, isn't it bizarre, absolutely bizarre, that at a time when we have so many television programs about food, cooking, baking, and whatever, and so many programs about how fantastic our houses or our chateaus could be with all these mod cons, that how much hospitality is actually taking place in our culture, in our homes? Very little, very little. In 17 years on Dudley Road, we've only been into one house on our street for a meal. Others have come into our place, I'm glad to say. But as a church and as Christians, we have got to be way better than our culture. We've got to set the bar very high in terms of hospitality. Then I think a helpful distinction is this. What's the difference between hospitality and entertaining? Entertaining, the focus is on you as the, the host, on how brilliant your food is and how fantastic your house is. It's all about you. The difference in hospitality is all about your guests. It's loving and serving them. That's what we've got to be good at. So being a loving church means being a forgiving church of one another and friendship. Loving, genuine friendship. Thirdly, we're to be a serving church, a serving church. Now, I was fortunate enough to go and see my hometown uh, rugby team, who happened to be the Exeter Chiefs. I went to watch them yesterday as well. They keep losing. I'm the kiss of death. I really am. 
Um, I was three weeks ago. I was at the Harlequins at, uh, over at Twickenham, and the thing is, when you watch sport on television, say rugby, when you watch sport on television, what you get to see is what the camera lets you see, isn't it? So you see the big plays. You see the stars with their match-winning performances, be it a kick or a try. You know, they focus on the key individuals. But when you go to a game live, like I did, well, I have done a few times recently, you get a totally different perspective. So from my seat at the stoop the other few weeks ago, I was literally, I was front row behind one of the goals, you see a whole lot more. So I saw, for instance, just how much the players talk to each other. It's incessant. It's non-stop. When things go well, they high-five. When things go badly, they high-five. They're encouraging each other. I saw when the replacements come out, the substitutes, they warmed up in front of us. And I just saw how encouraging they are of everything. Totally focused. I saw when there was a break in the game and the water carriers, the guys and girls running on with the, the, the things of water, you know what they're doing. They're going over and telling players. They're sending messages from the coaches to the players on the field. And then when we left the stoop, I saw in the car park three socking great Exeter chief coaches, buses, with the drivers. So when I left that day a few weeks ago, I thought, you know what, the Exeter chiefs, it's not about one or two individuals who are particularly good players. It's about a small army of people all with different gifts and talents, who make them a successful club, a successful team. Isn't that true of the church? A small army of people with different gifts and talents who work together using those gifts and talents to make disciples? Well, it should be, but the problem often for the church is we focus on one or two key individuals, men or women who are particularly gifted, and think, well, you know, they're the ones. But what does Peter say here? He says, each of you, each of you, should use whatever gift he's received to serve others faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. So if I am a follower of Christ... I have gifts and talents God has given me, either at birth through creation, but touched by his spirit, or when I came to faith in Christ, a certain gift I, I was given at that point in time. But everyone who's a follower of Christ has a gift or gifts to be used to serve each other and in so doing build up the body of Christ. Now, there are lots of passages in the scriptures that talk about spiritual gifts, and I'm not going to go through them. And there's no sort of exclusive list but five things that you might uh, if you're saying well, well I'm not sure what part can I play here's some things that you might just apply to yourself firstly pray ask God Lord what is it that you have given me that I can utilize for the benefit of the body here at Staines secondly look at where your passions lie Look at where, you know, you, you, you're, you're sort of passionate about. God has put that in you for a purpose. Thirdly, look at your abilities. There's absolutely zero, there's, take my word for it, you want me here speaking, you don't want me there with the ladies and, and Lee singing. I can't hit the right notes, right? And that's probably true for some of you as well. So look at your abilities. Fourthly, ask other people. 
Because other people are often better than you are at saying what you're good at and where they've seen you operate. And finally, have a go. There is absolutely nothing to be lost. So if you're a follower of Christ and Staines Kong is your church, you have a part to play in making disciples here. Now, Peter then mentions two really broad areas. This is where we'll end. Firstly, he talks about, firstly, speech. Now, by that, I don't just think, I don't think he means general conversation in life. He says, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. So this is certainly upfront things like preaching and teaching. It also includes things like Sunday school teaching, the youth work that goes on. It includes evangelism. It includes giving testimony to God's work in your life. And Peter's very clear, what comes across should not be your take on it, well, this is how I see it, but rather, what does God say? It's to be the very words of God, because it's, it's only the imperishable seed of God's word that actually changes hearts. And that's true of these believers. He writes this in chapter one, for you have been born again, not of imperishable, sorry, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So as we pray for a passion for life, I hope you will be, and thank you, Kevin, for praying this morning. As we pray for a passion for life, so pray for those who have got the responsibility for speaking the gospel, that they would do it, trusting that God's word will do its work. But also, as you use these invite cards to, to invite people, um, as I say to my church, Failure is not asking someone to an event and them saying, you know what, I can't make it, sorry. Failure is to not even bother asking them. So use the invite cards. And my wife was uh, challenged by this sermon a couple of weeks ago. She went into school on the Monday morning. She talked to her closest colleague at work. She doesn't think she'll come to the event, but it led to the best conversation they've had about faith in the three years they've worked together which is great, isn't it? So those who speak, to speak the very words of God. Now, increasing age and perhaps physical ability may change the area where you serve, but it doesn't mean you cease to be involved. There's no retirement when it comes to making disciples. So firstly, speech. Secondly, just broadly service. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides. Now, that is so broad, it's, it's unthinkable, isn't it, really? It covers everything from hospitality to music to bookkeeping, baking, offering transport, visiting people in their homes, hospitality, you know, all sorts of things. But what does Peter say? We do those things with the strength that he provides. I'd be a rich man if I had a pound for every time I heard someone in church just say, oh, no, I just haven't got time. I just haven't got time. I'm, I'm fully, fully loaded, fully done. Haven't got time. But isn't it true we make time for the things that are actually important to us? When it's the World Cup, I have no problem being able to watch nearly all the games. Somehow, magically, I've redeemed time from nowhere. We make time for what we want to do. 
And it's the same here. But it's the strength he provides. It's the words he gives that are to be in our speech. And it's the strength he provides that to motivate our service. And what's the outcome in conclusion of all this speaking and this service? Do we puff ourselves up? Do we, do we say, what a fantastically talented bunch we are at Staines Kong. And God is so fortunate to really have us on his team. No, he says, so that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and the power forever and ever. So whatever we do, whether we do a lot or comparatively little, whether it's upfront stuff like this, or whether it's totally behind the scenes, whether it's stuff that others know about, or importantly, it's stuff that absolutely no one has the foggiest idea that you do, and whether it's stuff that goes well, or stuff that is a total car crash, it doesn't matter, because the glory is going to him not us. So Staines Kong, you are a team. You're a team that God's going to use to make disciples here in this locality especially. You're to be a praying church dependent upon the Lord. You're to be a loving church who forgive each other, who are friends with one another. And you're to be a serving church, using all the gifts, the wonderful array of gifts that God has given you to build up the body here at Staines Cole. Let's pray. Dear Lord God, we thank you that we have been saved by grace. This is not of our own doing. Thank you that it was you who brought us out of darkness and brought us into your marvellous light. Help each and every one of us to be a team of your people who live such good lives in our wider community that even though others may oppose us for our faith in the Lord Jesus, they may see our good deeds and on the day you visit us that they might glorify you. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.